Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's, uh, you know, we're just into 2024 a little bit here. And uh, I know we've talked a little bit on the podcast uh, before the start of the new year. about this new year, new you um, concept with Dr. Michelle May. And, um, you know, I still think it's important to discuss um, the society we're living in and the messages we're getting. Uh, You know, I do talk a lot about the toxic diet culture we're in for any of you who have listened to my podcast before. um, And you may know my thoughts on that. And I do think that if you're new to the podcast, um, you may not know much about toxic diet culture, maybe you do, um, but I do think we need to keep talking about it because the messages out there from the diet and beauty industry are so loud. They are much louder than me, much louder than any of my uh, you know, colleagues out there who are trying to combat these uh, myths and messages that do really um, have such a huge impact on all of us, probably more than we're, we even realize. Um, and so I'm really excited today to have on a phenomenal guest who is, she's written a book. Uh, she has a lot of great information in that book, but she's also just um, here to talk a lot about this time of the year, but also the toxic diet culture and just have a conversation with me about the world we're living in now. And um, I hope for any of you who are listening and are struggling with uh, feeling good about your body or feeling compelled to diet that the conversation we have really does like spark something in you to maybe challenge some of your thoughts about your need to diet or the pressure to be thin or to lose weight or maybe just even give you some critical thought the next time you hear one of these ads or get on social media and read something and you know every little shift and change every time you hear something um you never know the impact that it's going to have on you and you know, your thoughts and how you see things. So, um, you know, the goal with the podcast here is hopefully to, you know, shift some thoughts and changes and hopefully help you live uh, a life where you are struggling less with your body image and um, with your food. So that being said, uh, Chrissy King is a writer, speaker, educator, and former strength coach with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She is also the author of The Body Liberation Project. Through her work, Chrissy empowers individuals to stop shrinking and start taking up space and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. With degrees in social justice and sociology from Marquette University, Chrissy merges her passion for social justice with her passion for wellness to inspire members of the fitness industry to create spaces that allow individuals from all backgrounds to feel seen, welcome, affirmed, and celebrated. All right. Well, Chrissy, welcome to this show. I'm really excited to have you here. 
Oh, thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today. So, you know, we're, we've been chatting a little bit before we hit record. You know, it's that time of the year where I'm sure most people are not oblivious to the fact that all these new year, new you uh, ads are out and probably sick of them. But um, I'm just wondering your take on all of this right now at this time of the year. Yeah, I think at this time of the year, it can be hard for folks. Um, You know, we are coming out of the holidays and, um, you know, a lot of us have been perhaps eating more than we have in, you know, normally or more holiday parties and all these things. And so I think that's just like a normal part of this holiday season. And then um, diet culture, which is always working overtime, I think is even working more overtime right now. And so we're, at least me, I can speak for myself, when I'm logging on to social media, I'm seeing all of the things talking about lose the holiday pounds or new year, new you, and like transform your body. Um, and I think it's really challenging because even if you're not in that frame of mind, now you're getting all these messages and ads and you're immediately thinking that's what you have to do, what you should be doing. And I think even this idea of new year's resolutions, regardless if they're about our bodies or not, feels like a lot of pressure to like reinvent yourself and to like, and, and perhaps like, you know, hit January up and running to new start of the new year, whatever that means. Um, and I just think it feels like a lot of pressure. And I think, you know, yes, the calendar started over and it's a new year, but I don't think that we need to put so much pressure on ourselves to completely transform ourselves um, just because January 1st of the next year has hit. Um, but I think it's also hard to to drown out that noise because it is overwhelming. It's true. And it's interesting before the end of last year, I had Michelle May on and she's, uh, we were talking about like how to navigate when the ads come out. And now here we are kind of post the ads. Um, I'm sure people are still feeling the pressure if they haven't started something. Um, you know, we're speaking of the diet culture we're in, right? Um, all this Ozempic stuff and these like promoting weight loss as if it's, you have to do it to be healthy. And so there's this new spin on weight loss I've never experienced before where it's always been kind of for your health, quote unquote, but now it's really like being prescribed as if it's like, you need to do this for your health for real. Like, um, Absolutely. And I agree with you. And I think that makes it even more challenging, right? Like we were already navigating just diet culture and its own, but now like to your point with like the, um, with Ozempic and all these other weight loss drugs in the market now, it really is being marketed as like, this is the thing to do for your health. Right. And even today, um, I was on TikTok, you know, earlier this morning and I saw this TikTok and like the caption said something about like, you know, if you stop taking Ozempic, you'll gain the weight back. So I was interested in what the, and it was a doctor talking. So I was curious of like what the content of the video was going to be. And so I listened to the entire video and I, my actually my mind was actually blown because seeing the caption, I was thinking the doctor was going to say something along the lines of like, why this might not be a good idea to, to do this for weight loss, because it's like a long-term thing. It's not a short-term fix, but it was the opposite. He went on to say that like diet and exercise isn't enough for weight loss and these drugs do work, but you should be prepared to just use them for the rest of your life. Oh. And never stop using them. And I was like, my mind was absolutely blown because I think this is what um, makes it so much more complicated because now not only are we dealing with diet culture, now we're dealing with like doctors who are saying, yeah, just like use this for the rest of your life. And then you won't have to worry about weight as a problem anymore. And I think that for a person who is actively working to try to break up with diet culture, to develop a better relationship with their bodies, it becomes more complicated when we're in our age where everyone's like, oh no, just take this drug and then you'll be thin and like your problems will be resolved. Um, and it feels harder and harder for folks to navigate. So 
when people come up to you or you're talking to somebody and you know, this topic comes up, do you feel compelled to say something and like have a conversation with them? Or do you kind of like, oh gosh, this is such a big monster. I don't even want to have this conversation. Well, I think it's interesting um, because a lot of folks that I think know me and know my work, know about my book, which is the Body Liberation Project, which is all about like breaking up with diet culture. And so what I actually find that happens more often than not is that people come up to me um, and, or or before they say something, they preface it like, I know you're not going to like this, and then proceed to like talk about their diet or talk about this thing that they're going to do, um, I think, which is interesting. And I think what I always say to folks is number one, like I'm, I'm not a person who um, if you're coming to me and we're having conversation, I don't feel like it's my responsibility to have a conversation to try to educate you. And oftentimes people don't want that. So if someone says something, I'm also like, I often say, do you want me to just listen or do you want me to give you feedback? And, and then like see where the conversation goes. Um, and, you know, I'm one of the things I talk about all the time is like I'm a big proponent of body autonomy and that people get to decide what is best for their bodies. Mm. However, I'm also a big proponent of like, are we compassionately questioning why the thing, why we want the things that we think we want as it pertains to our bodies, but just in general, because so much of it is just conditioning and programming that we're receiving, you know, diet culture is like the air we breathe. It's everywhere. And so it's oftentimes hard to distinguish. Do I want to lose weight because I somehow think it's going to make me healthier? Or do I think that's just the thing I'm supposed to do? And also this is a whole other conversation that, you know, being in a smaller body doesn't automatically equal health and, and vice versa. Being in a larger body doesn't mean you're unhealthy. So it's very nuanced and layered conversations. Um, but I I think so. I, I guess to answer your question, I think most people are just like timid to talk to me about the conversation because they know where I stand. <laughs> More so than like, what do you think I should do? Right. Yeah. That's funny. It's the same with me, right? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, was, I was laughing when you said people say, oh, you're not going to like this. It's almost like, I'm they already know, like, I just want to say it, but I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to, you're not going to like it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, and that's the other thing too. You brought up like people think it's about being healthy too, but there's this whole other dynamic with toxic diet culture. Like you have more value, more worth, you're more attractive. So if I get in this smaller body, if I look more like this ideal that's popped out there that's ingrained in all of our brains right then I'll be happier too I'll have a better life like everything's gonna be so much better and so there is that pressure if somebody's not feeling good about themselves maybe their life's not going the way they think it's supposed to maybe this will help maybe this is the thing that's gonna like change it all and that perception I don't know your thoughts on it but I think that perception is really pushed out there too yeah I often I talk about one of the things I talk about in the book actually is the fact that like uh, weight loss in a lot of ways, I think is like the low hanging fruit in the sense that when maybe other things in our lives don't feel like we have control over them or aren't going the way we want them to go, we're like, but I can control my, like, this is the thing that I can control. I can control my body. And also diet culture teaches us, as you said, that like, everything's going to be better when you lose weight. You're going to be happier. You're going to find the partner of your dreams. You're going to get the promotion you want. Like your life is just going to be so much better, which is not true, right? Like you're the same person with the same issues. You're just in a smaller body. And for me, I will say that when I, you know, lost a lot of weight and had like a transformation, I thought I was in like the body of my dreams or whatever I want to call it. I was actually more unhappy than I was before, right? I had a worse relationship with body image, a worse relationship with food and exercise. So it wasn't like I got to the other side and I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy now. And if anything, I felt more pressure to lose more weight and to try to maintain my body, even though it was really hard for me to do that in the first place. So I think that's one part of it. And then I think the other part of it is that 
Like realistically speaking, we live in a world in which there is privilege assigned to being in a thinner body. There's social capital that comes along with that. And like, I think we can't deny that. Then privilege is a real thing that exists in the world. So I think it's also nuanced because you, we, I, I know, right, that like weight loss and fat loss isn't the thing that's going to fix your anybody's life. But when you live in a society in which maybe you're lacking privilege in other ways, that feels like the one type of privilege that you can't access. And I talk about this a lot, especially for folks with like multiple um, marginalized identities, that if you are living in a black body or a trans body, a fat body, and you have all these things that are having a negative impact in the experience you're having in the world, maybe weight loss feels like the one access to privilege you do have. And so I think that for folks struggling with all of these things, I always say that the best thing that we can do is hold ourselves with the place of compassion because it is hard to navigate all of these feelings, right? And the last thing that we need to do when we're feeling bad about our bodies is to beat ourselves up because we're feeling bad about our bodies. Um, and so I think there's a lot of unlearning that has to do and uh, that has to happen. Um, and I think, you know, there, it takes, I always tell people that like, we didn't get to this place of having a negative relationship with our body image overnight. So we also can't expect ourselves to heal and fix that relationship overnight. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the journey to body liberation is like something that we're always going to be on. It's like, you, you just always don't have to be working on it because again, we're constantly getting messages that tell us that we're not good enough. Right. And I mean, you're a woman, I'm a woman. There's also that other extra layer of like the older you get, like, <laughs> Yes, yeah. you matter and like the it's ageism, true. right? You stay young, right? Like, so there's, to your point, multiple layers of like things that have to happen and change with your body that, oh my gosh, like, don't let that happen. And I think though, you're bringing up something, you know, that is really important to acknowledge though, is that our bodies are going to change. They were literally created and designed to do that, right? And so whether we're talking about the size of them or we're talking about aging or we're talking about, um, ability level changes in our bodies. Like these things happen because our bodies are in fact designed to deteriorate. That's just the reality of it. And so I think like, especially for women, I think the pressure is more, right? That we're supposed to like have wrinkle-free skin and our bodies are going to be this, look a certain way and have like an hourglass shape and all these things. And realistically life is happening. Our bodies are constantly changing. They were designed to do that. Um, and the sooner that we can accept <laughs> that they are going to change, like the easier it becomes to learn to love and appreciate our bodies and all of its iterations because we are going to have so many different iterations of our bodies. What I'm curious your thoughts on this. Why do you think we don't have these conversations to normalize the body changes like through puberty, you know, all the way up into like having menopause, a baby, menopause, <laughs> all of this, right? Instead, it seems to me like we're demonizing it. Like, oh my gosh, you know that, you know, the magazines that say like, oh my gosh, she's so great. She looks like she before she had a baby two weeks later I'm like, okay first of all that's crazy but you know and even like to your point menopause right like why don't we normalize that and say this is gonna happen instead of don't let that happen or if you do it something's wrong with you you're not doing something right like or making people fear it like I don't know I would love to hear your thoughts yeah I mean even what you were just talking about like the whole snapback culture right like you have a baby and like two weeks later you're supposed to look just like your old body and like that's not even realistic and, and you might never look like that the previous version of your body you right you had a whole child, you know what I'm saying? Like that. And it's like, instead of celebrating, like how amazing our bodies are that we can create life, we're like, no, you need to hurry up and get it back to what it was looking like before you did that thing. Um, and I think a lot of it goes back to like, you know, the like standards of beauty are created to keep women 
in my opinion, hyper-focused, women in particular, it can affect everyone, of course. But I think especially in American culture, standards of beauty are created to keep women focused on how we look and like gaining, losing weight and gaining whatever, changing the body for whatever the in body is and, and, you know, taking care of our skin so it doesn't wrinkle and trying to prevent aging and, you know, pretending like menopause is not a thing that's actually going to happen to us. And I think a lot of it goes back to capitalism as well, because, you know, when we are always chasing the next version or the better version or trying to keep up the appearances, we spend all of our money, our time, our energy and our resources obsessing about keeping things the way that we think they're supposed to be, even though that's not actually possible, right? And I think it's so interesting because like if all of us got to this place where we were just like, why don't we just stop with the charades and the games? Because we know that life is going to happen and we stop spending all of our money. Like the, be- the beauty industry, the diet industry is a 70 plus billion dollar industry, right? Like what would happen if we all just collectively were like, F this, we're not going to play this game anymore, right? And which is why I often say, I think that like, you know, I thought that like during 2020, 21 and 2021, we were making strides in terms of like inclusivity and more body acceptance. I felt like, like uh, on a mainstream level that was becoming more popular. And then I felt like it was like this shift uh, in 2022, where it was like, you know, the Washington Post did the article that said heroin chic is back in and we saw the rise of Ozempic. And it seemed like this whiplash effect, right? And I said, I think it's because anytime we are starting to make progress, capitalism, people who are invested in making us feel bad about ourselves are like, oh, we better up the ante because I think they're starting to get it and we can't let them get it because then they're going to stop spending all their money and that's going to affect our bottom lines. Yeah. And wow, I'm so glad you said that too, because there was a shift right during the pandemic. People couldn't get their beauty regimens. They couldn't get their hair done. They couldn't get their nails done. They couldn't get, you know, the volatile, they couldn't get out there to actually get it done. Places were closed. Right. And so you know, what I experienced in, you know, I'm in California or in New York, so I don't know if there was a difference, but, you know, people were putting on like, you know, next door apps and things like that. Like, oh my gosh, it's so framed and not have to get my nails done. It's so nice. Or like, I really was thinking I had to always get waxed and it's so nice. I'm saving so much money. And it's like, to your point, capitalism, right? Like they were saving so much money and they realized, you know, maybe I don't need to do this if things open up again. Right. I'm actually, I'm fine. Right. Yeah. Everything's okay, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this, to your point, that word liberation, it was like freeing. It's like, oh, I'm saving hours. I'm saving money. I'm like accepting my body. This is kind of nice, right? Yes. It's nice. And so I think that, yeah, anytime we're making, I, I just have noticed that in like lots of different areas that when we feel like we start to make progress in something, there's like this overhaul to make sure that we don't actually keep going in that direction. Right. Did you, I mean, did you hear things like that over in New York as well? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that people were just like less concerned about appearances because number one, we were staying in the house. Number two, there was just like also a lot of things going on globally at that time that seemed bigger than just like how we looked. Mm-hmm. And people were also putting more energy into those things, which is also to my point, I feel like when we are hyper-focused on how we look and we're spending all of our time and our energy and our resources, and I'm going to speak for myself, when I was really, you know, in like the throes of diet culture, mm-hmm. all of my energy and my time went to maintaining the way my body looked, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have like any energy left over to worry about like what I was trying to create for my own life. I didn't have any energy left over to like worry about dismantling systems of oppression. Like mm-hmm. I was using all of my energy to like, count my macros, go to the gym, you know, work out 20 hours a week, you know, all the things. And so I think hand in hand, like when we stop being so distracted by appearances, 
we can really use our creative energy for other things. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also part of what was happening during 2020. We had racial, um, globally racial uprisings, like all these things that people were focusing their energy on mm-hmm. that seems bigger and more important than, you know, beauty standards. And also we didn't have access to that stuff either. And and so I think that, again, people's attention shifted. And I think that is scary for folks because, again, systems of oppression, like dismantling system of oppression, um, when those systems benefit certain people, like that's not something that globally. And so we talk about that in terms of like the patriarchy as well. When so many women are invested in thinking about why we look, we really don't have time to worry about dismantling the patriarchy or any of the other systems. Right. Um, so I think it benefits people for us to be distracted. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. I wonder if people listening are kind of shaking their heads. It's, I would love to see like an audience or something. But, like my for those of you who can't see me, I'm my head's shaking. Um, totally. Um, yeah. And I mean, I had the same experience too, right? And at the time, I called it like it was working, you know, quote unquote, working, whatever, right? Because I was being so diligent with everything. And sure, society was like patting me on the back. You look great. You know, you're you're you have such willpower. You're so whatever, right? And I, I still hear people say that, like, but that's the only thing that quote unquote works. It's, you know, when it worked or when I, you know, and yeah. what is that working thing? Like, what did that even mean? It's working. Yeah. And also like, what does that mean? And then also it's like so many of us, I think, have ideas of what, um, because like, when we say what is working, what what is the standard that we are basing that off of, right? What is the standard that means that we are doing the things that are helping us look the way we're supposed to look and who's creating this idea of what we're supposed to look like. And, you know, I talk about this too in the book is that like standards of beauty are always changing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Every decade, there's a new body that's considered the in body, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And we looked at like the age of like the BBLs, which is like the Kim Kardashian look, right? Which is like, you know, uh, big boobs, big butts, small waist. And now again, we're seeing that people are going away from that look back to a super thin, like I said, the heroin chic, very thin, small. And like these systems, these, these the ideas of what is beautiful is always changing. And that's also by design because we could never actually be satisfied because as soon as we achieve the body that we think is in, well, now it's changed to a new body and now we have to chase that. And so to your point of like, it's working, what does that even mean? And, and, and also even the marker of what's considered it's working is always changing. Right. And I always laugh about that too. I say like the diets keep changing. Like, mm-hmm. like who created all of these diets? Like they always are shifting and changing. This is the best way to eat. This is the best way to do this. And I'm going, wait a minute. I grew up in the eighties, like carbs were king. Like eat all yeah. the carbs you want, right? Like yes. don't eat fat. Fat makes you yeah. fat. Like, I don't <laughs> know where protein was. Protein didn't exist, but like it's flipping yeah. out. It's like protein's king. Don't eat carbs. And I'm like, wait, what yeah. happened to back then? <laughs> It's so true though, right? Like every, there's always a new thing. And I think what also makes it complicated is like this idea of health is so intertwined with body size. And I think for folks who are trying to figure things out, who are trying to figure out what it means to be healthy for them, person, individual level, Mm -hmm. it is confusing because you just, there's so much information out there. There's so many things about what's the right way to eat. And if you're a person who's generally just trying to see what works for their bodies, it's overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, if you just, try to if you didn't know anything and you just tried to look online like how yeah. do I eat I actually did that one day and I was like oh my gosh I went down a rabbit hole so right because one thing said eat this and then the next thing said don't eat the things that were on the other thing it's like oh my gosh everything contradicted each other it made no sense 
right? Absolutely. And so I think for folks who are like genuinely don't understand or don't know, it's really hard. And, and again, so much of the information really leads us to believe that being healthy is attributed to being in a smaller body and that we should, and, and that automatically by losing weight, that means that equals health, right? Um, and so folks will do whatever the person says is the the fastest and easiest way to lose weight, even if it's not sustainable, because that is in our mind what is going to make us healthy. But I do think there, you know, just as you were talking, I think it is confusing because people are turning to the internet. They're turning to these influencers who are very vocal and loud and prevalent on the internet, right? They're getting these reams and this is what I eat in a day. And they're showing their bodies and what they look like. And they are quote unquote, you know, more of the ideal. And so I think people think that whatever they're eating in the day is what you're supposed to. That's, that's the standard. And so they get used to that and think if I eat more than that, I'm eating, I'm overeating. I'm eating too much, which is so scary to me because what they eat in a day is not near enough. And not only is it not near enough, it's also like dangerous because I think you're right. Everything you're saying is right. Like people are taking advice from the fitness influencers online, the TikToks and all the things we're seeing with like conventionally thin people doing these videos, right? Who may not even have any education or knowledge around nutrition and or exercise or, you know, no certifications whatsoever, just their personal experience sometimes. And also what I think is missing from this conversation, which a lot of folks don't understand, is that there's a huge role in genetics that plays in our bodies as well. And so like we can't, every single one of us could eat the same thing, exercise the same thing, and we're still going to look different, right? Because Mm -hmm. we have different genetics at play um, and bodies were created. And this is the thing that's so interesting to me, because when we look at people, you know, when we're out in the world, some of us have black hair, some of us brown hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, dark skin, light skin. We have all these genetic variations, which we can understand. But then when it comes to body size, we're like, oh no, but we're all supposed to be thin. And it's like, well, if all of the other things are different, why do we think that our bodies are all going to be shaped the same and be the same sizes? And so it's like really dangerous to watch these people, uh, scary and dangerous to watch folks eat in a day. And then so many people are like taking that advice to a T when a lot of those folks are under eating for one. And for two, y'all just have different bodies and different needs and different calorie needs and all of these things. But yes, exactly. I've always wondered that too. Honestly, I'm like, well, where do we fixate on the weight and the size? <laughs> like, wait to go, oh my gosh, your foot's bigger than mine. Or like, you know. Taller. I'm six foot tall. I'm six feet. I'm the only woman in my family that's tall. My, my mom is five two. My sister is five three. And like, that's just that's just normal, right? Like no one's like, oh, why, why are you tall? And they're not like, and so it's like, but then we come to the size of our bodies and the shapes of the bodies. And we're like, well, we're supposed to look like this. That's it. But it's actually kind of funny, right? So you bring yeah. up height because I think for men, that's, that's something they grapple with. Like if you're too short as a man, yes. that's an issue. And who made up that? I mean, right. I don't know that like, you're supposed, like if you're a man, you're supposed to be over six feet tall. And if you're not, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, I saw not to go on like a, you know, a rant, but I did see another TikTok. Obviously, I'm spending too much time on TikTok, but <laughs> TikTok the other day, and it was a man who like went to Turkey to get a surgery that like extended his legs by like four or five inches so he could be taller. And I was like, wow, the beauty standards are working overtime on everyone. Like mm-hmm. no one is new to this, right? And so your point is like, some people just aren't tall. Like that's just what happens genetically. Some people don't end up tall. Um, but I think we're all succumbing to the pressures that of what the standard right is when that isn't like, 
how is there a standard in terms of like what you're supposed to be when we're talking about things that are out of our control in a lot of ways? Well, I'd love, I'd love to know, honestly, to your point, like who set the standard? Like who's behind all of this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a $76 billion beauty diet and beauty industry, but who actually decides at one point, like, yeah, let's make it the heroin chic, like thinness again. Like, let's do this. Let's do that. Like, where does this decision come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, let's go back to the Renaissance era, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> bodies were, there was no social media, but you know, you look from the, the paintings and things, bodies were very different and voluptuous and desirable by, you know, people, obviously, if they were getting painted and, you know, what happened to those bodies being the standard? Yeah. I mean, so, and you know, if we look throughout history, there's like lots of times when, like to your point, living in a larger body was considered a beautiful thing. It was considered a sign of wealth and prosperity. Um, and Dr. Sabrina Strings has a really amazing book called Fearing the Black Body. Mm-hmm. And it talks about kind of like the inception almost of diet culture, though it didn't have a term at that time, but dating back actually to slavery when there was this desire to uh, create a hierarchy of which bodies were considered more valuable, more worthy um, of respect, et cetera. And so during like the inception of, or not during the inception of slavery and enslaved people were oftentimes in larger bodies or more muscular because of working in the fields and manual labor. And that became the time at which folks really decided that like you wanted to be anything but that. And so when we look at a history, that's kind of where the inception of like this idea of thinness being attributed to moral virtue and to um, the, like being even smarter, being like more worthy actually started. And um, I talk about that in the book as well. And when we think about that, like it started as this thing to differentiate between create this racial hierarchy. But now hundreds of years later, we're all suffering from the result of that thing because it doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity or gender is, we can all suffer from, or we all are struggling with beauty standards and this idea that thinness is better, but it dates back to that early. Yeah, there's lots of lots of influences here, right? Like yeah. then mm-hmm. you bring in that and then the medical field, the BMI, which is Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> measure and of health. It's like you know, the beauty standard and then the measure of health that they deem is it's yeah, absolutely not. Anyone who's listened to me knows my thoughts on that. Um And to me, even like the BMI is so wild because now it's really widely known that it's not a good measure of health because it was how it was created, but yet we're still using it. And like that blows my mind that no one's like, okay, we're going to stop talking. We're going to stop using BMI to determine things like health insurance rates or life insurance because we know this is like a flawed system. But no, we're still just like going along, even though like collectively we all know this at this point. Yeah. And I I still question that. Right. And I know I say this for people listening and heard me a thousand times say BMI is bullshit. Um, I still don't understand it. I'll say it, you know, forever until it's maybe gone. I am still curious. Is it because the insurance companies are making all this money? Life insurance companies is the medical. I'm so curious why they just won't ditch it. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't have an answer for that either. It's it's (laughs) mind boggling, actually. Like, and I don't know if you knew that American Academy of Pediatrics came out with new guidelines for kids and it's based on BMI, right? And so like, also, what's, what's yeah. happening, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So this is going to start with this whole new generation of youth, like having so much of their mindset based on like the BMI and like weight focused. And like, I'm so scared for what this is going to do to kids, but it's a whole yeah. other thing, right? 
mm-hmm. it's not going to get better. It just, I'm looking at this kind of going, oh, how are we going to overcome this? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, and again, like not to keep, you know, echoing the same thing, but I think with the normalization of weight loss drugs, like Ozempic, like, I think that it, it, it is, I, I feel for all of us, but I also feel for like younger kids growing up because now it almost makes it seem like if you are not in a small body, there's like something medically wrong with you that needs medication to manage versus like, this is just my body. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, kind of getting back to the initial thing we're talking about this being this time of the year and all of that, um, (laughs) all of this other stuff that's going on in the society and right. Um, You know, someone's listening and they're really struggling right now with like, I really want to go on a diet. I really hate my body. I really just want to make a change. Like, What's something you could say to them to kind of help them navigate like this time and also not fall prey to like some new diet or some new fad or something where they feel like this is the only thing I can do to feel happier or to make a shift or change? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I always say is like as much as we can try to manage like what we are consuming, which is harder sometimes than others. But I think especially on like I think of platforms like Instagram, like mute people, follow people. Um, spend less time on social media this time of the year in general, I think can be really helpful. Um, of course, you know, I, I think we're going to see the messaging in life in general. I, I was on the train last week and there, I live in New York. Um, and there was like, I saw like three or four ads for weight loss drugs. So it's not like you can avoid it everywhere you go, but I think where we can manage it and, you know, spending less time on social and following meeting people who are really pushing things that don't feel aligned with us. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, following people who are anti-diet, right. Who are, sending out encouraging positive messages, um, you know, to reinforce what, you know, feels better for you and more aligned. I'm also like a big proponent of like, you know, at this time of the year, picking up books that may be helpful. Sonia Renee Taylor, The Body's Not Apology, beautiful book, um, my book, The Body Liberation Project. Um, And so like really engaging with materials that feel more aligned for what you're trying to, you know, anti-diet, um, body liberation, body positivity, all of those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I say compassion always because it's it's difficult. And I think, you know, if you're really feeling like, because I think there's also this part that gets really complicated because we're getting all these messaging about weight loss. And then, and you, and I think of a lot of times we're also perhaps feeling like, but I want to be healthy and I want to like, you know, and I, I, again, I always ask us to question that because when I, when I used to be a trainer, um, I did not work with clients for fat loss. But what I always asked folks was if you did all these things that you consider to be healthy, like meaning like I want to be able to run around with my kids and I want to be able to, you know, eat in a way that makes me feel nourished and energized. If you did all those things and you didn't lose weight, did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm when folks are saying like, but I just want to feel better, and it's like, okay, I understand that. I think we all want to feel you know good in our bodies. What things that make you feel good that don't feel like they're focused on fat loss? So like perhaps it's just like I want to take a 15 minute walk every day. Great, mm-hmm. like I think that's a wonderful goal to set for yourself. Um, that doesn't feel like you're doing something that's unsustainable. Or, you know, because I think also what times happens is like, I'm going to, people decide they're going to do a complete overhaul of nutrition, like complete, I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. I'm not going to eat any sweets. I'm going to take all this stuff out of my house. Right. And like, that's like a recipe for just like burnout anyways. Yeah. And so instead of like trying to do that, let's think about like what things I can do to add to my diet. Like maybe I want to add a serving of vegetables a day. 
Awesome. That's a great goal. Maybe I just want to, I want to be more active. So I'm going to take a 15 minute walk in the morning and a 15 minute walk after work. Wonderful. Right. So it's like, you can work towards, I want to feel better in the year that don't have to be the hyper-focused on fat loss goals. Right. Oh, that's, yes. I think you said something really great. I think that's the push right now is people new year, new you, they take on these lofty goals to revamp their entire life that are not sustainable. That's why, you know, the first couple months, maybe people are gung ho and then everything falls off and they feel like a huge failure. Like, Oh, I failed. Right. But be realistic. Like how can you make such a complete overhaul in your life? Right. Like it's, it's, it's a whole, it's not realistic. You can't go from like zero to a hundred with everything. Exactly. You know, I think that's, yeah. Living your life like that too. Like, never having a suite, always fitting in like the gym every day for an hour. Like, uh, come on, that's, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and also I really encourage people to like do something that feel that they enjoy, right? Like, again, your movement doesn't have to be going to the gym if you don't like the gym or if you don't even, if the thought of going to the gym sounds like torture to you, then like you probably, that's not the thing you want to do. Right. So maybe you like to dance. And you just want to have a dance party in your house for 15 minutes or follow a video on YouTube while you dance, or perhaps you want to go for a swim, or if you're in a warm state, you like to go roller skating. It can be all these different things. So I think also movement should be about like things that actually bring joy to our lives. So find an activity that you actually enjoy and that brings you joy and like focus on incorporating more of those things into your life and not things that you actually hate. Cause like, what's the fun in that also? But I, I, you know, my, my experience of that is like, that's the diet culture talking, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Right? It doesn't yeah. count unless it's like this time at the gym, the set amount of time burning this many calories, doing this kind of exercise and, you know, everything else is just get off the ground when you're done, you know, right? <laughs> you can beat yourself up at the gym so much that you can't barely walk out. And like that counts as exercise then. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, I might eating disorder. I remember thinking like walking doesn't count, right? That was my eating disorder voice. And I hear that a lot from people who are still in the throes of their eating disorder. Like that's not real exercise. And so I think it can be difficult for people who are maybe still struggling with it a little bit to take yeah. walking. Like that's not an, quote unquote, enough, right? right. Um, but here us, it's enough. <laughs> it's like it's definitely enough. And also right. the benefits of walking are so great. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I mean, not just for our health, but like for your creativity, for your mental health, it's definitely enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we need to get more messages out there. Like you're talking about, like, what is exercise? What is, you know, countering the eating disorder voices, countering the messages out there about like what you need to do, what counts, what doesn't. I think there's so much misinformation out there. So that's why I'm so grateful for having you on here to speak about all these things we we need more people to hear these messages, hear from people like you, read your book. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your book, actually? Yeah. So it's called The Body Liberation Project, How Understanding Racism and Diet Culture Help Cultivate Joy and Build Collective Freedom. So it talks a lot about body liberation, obviously, how we can um, achieve that on a personal individual level, and then how we can work towards collective liberation. Um, and for folks unfamiliar, body liberation is actually just, you know, pushing the mark on what I think mainstream body positivity tries to do. Um, and so like, for me, when I talk about body liberation, I'm, I'm talking about this, like true understanding 
that are at our essence and our core, our bodies are truly just the vessel that are allowing us to have this human experience. They're not who we are. And also the goal is not to look in the mirror every day and love everything you see, because that's also, in my opinion, pretty unrealistic. But it's to understand and recognize that every version of yourself and all the different iterations we have are worthy of respect, deserving of joy and celebration and all these things. And so um, it takes you through a history of like body positivity into what body liberation is, how we can incorporate it into our own lives, and then how we can work to dismantle systems of oppression that are making it difficult for all of us to feel joy in our bodies um, so that hopefully future generations won't struggle as much as we have. That's fantastic. Thank so, you. Was this like a labor of love? Like the, the, this, this, like how long did it take like for you to compile all of this? It sounds like it's an amazing book. Uh, thank you. So um, I actually, when I signed my deal with my publisher, which is paying a random house, they gave me six months to write the book, which in hindsight is not very long. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh my gosh. Not very long. I am, I am definitely writing another book. I will definitely be asking for more than six months this time around. Now that I know you learn lessons. Um, I did get an extension though. So it ended up taking me eight months to write it. Um, but I think that I've been talking about these topics for years. So, you know, it wasn't like, I wasn't aware of what I was talking about, but six months is still a pretty <laughs> quick turnaround for a book. <laughs> That's amazing though. I'm sure people are going to want to like find you, find your book. Um, is you know, and I'll have everything on the show notes, but do you have social media or website or something where people can follow you, find out more about you and what the work you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram and TikTok um, are I am Christy King. My website is ChristyKing.com. Awesome. All right. Any last final words before we end today? Um, You know, I just want to say, like, I think for all of us, you know, as we're entering in the new year and we're figuring it all out day by day. I think the thing I, I'm going to repeat this again. I think the the most important thing is to really work to have a compassionate relationship with ourselves. I oftentimes say that, you know, our relationship with ourselves is the most important relationship we can ever have because we spend every moment of every day with ourselves. And oftentimes we talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to our family members or our kids or our friends or our partner. And so I think that, you know, learning to treat ourselves with gentleness, kindness, and compassion is the greatest gift we could ever give ourselves. Awesome. Well, Chrissy, thank you again so much for being here. Such great information. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.